0: Legos, Boston, New York, Houston, Detroit,
1: Boston, Cleveland. He does a lot of things well, uh, while lacking kind of that standout tool. He's got average tools across the board.
0: Yep. So his start today, tomorrow, yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this.
2: Welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 61, where the only draft we've seen up close is Amber and Bubbly. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by Joshua House. I'm Josh, how's it going?
0: Ooh, a little cold. I think there's a draft in here. Uh... What? You
2: know, <laughs> I made a bad draft joke and you made an immediately worse draft joke, so I hope you're proud of yourself for once.
0: <laughs> I was hoping I'd get that uh, sound from you for one time.
2: I have too much pun appreciation built into me. Um, we probably should talk about baseball. I don't know that we're going to want to talk about your boy, Marco, after <laughs> tonight, oh. but uh, <laughs> the Jays have uh, probably, by the time you're hearing this, spectacularly failed to get to 500 one more time. Uh, although the schedule might be looking up for them going forward. Uh, we can talk about Roberto Osuna and Justin Smoke and Jay Hap before we have to talk about Marco Estrada. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Burke Granger of Twenty Eighty Baseball. We have a ton of questions. Uh, thank you again. And uh, then we uh, we do have a do-over. It's 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 a lightweight do-over to be honest, but we'll get there when we get there. All right. So you thought you were you were pretty optimistic, I think, that we were going to talk about this five hundred J's team. It didn't happen, did it? No, no. <laughs> Uh, it's over
0: six now, when they've gotten to one game below.
2: Wow. I I don't know, I don't know what that means. I know it means I don't have to talk about the playoffs yet. So there's that, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I I think it's really weird that that they're in dead last in this division while they struggle to get around five hundred. That is a it's an absurd sort of thing in the standings, isn't it?
0: because the AL East is the worst and the best. Yeah, it's the it's the best division and it's the worst <laughs> division to be part of.
2: Is there a year where we haven't felt that way at some mm, point during the season?
0: 1993?
2: <laughs> yeah, way back when the Yankees I remember when the Yankees were perpetually bad. I had a tweet this week and and I it's just that I you know obviously the Yankees have it really tough and it's so fortunate that the the next generational talent they managed to draft and bring to the majors in Aaron Judge otherwise I I don't know how they'd ever survive (laughs) every single Yankee is hitting up a storm Uh, and we have Justin Smoke well actually and Ezekiel Carrera
0: 300 hitter almost Um, (laughs) you really sucks (laughs) yeah But as you alluded to up at the top there, it's a stretch of games that could be somewhat advantageous for the Blue Jays. So they have this series, you know, against the Rays, this two gamer, which they're getting waxed in the first one, 7 1 in the eighth, giving up, I think it's like 16 hits. Um, and after that, though, it's the crappy White Sox, then the crappy Rangers, and then the crappy Royals, and then the Orioles. And
2: are the Orioles the starting are gonna make- pitching jump ship sometime in the middle of this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah Jeez. um but this is the time when if they're going to make a move they need to make it because july is a little different <laughs> july goes boston new york houston detroit boston cleveland <laughs> to start the month
2: so you mean uh mixed in with the hottest team in baseball you have last year's world series team and two division rivals wow yeah I'm I'm sure they could play over there. Yeah, okay, let's get through the the easier bit and see where they're at. Um and maybe next week we'll be able to uh talk about uh, above 500. <laughs> Keep open. Um how bad are the White Sox? Or what's making the White Sox bad? Everything.
0: The White Sox are just a bad team. I mean, they traded away a bunch of their Good players before the season. They traded Eaton to the Nationals. They traded Chris Sale to the Red Sox. Damn you, White Sox. Um, and then Jose Quintana has apparently just forgotten how to pitch. Which so, is tough to yep. do. Yeah, they're and they're 27 and 35 in last place in the worst division in the league.
2: And Abreu has turned into a pumpkin, and yeah, on and on it goes. Weird. Well, well, maybe they'll salvage a split with Tampa Bay here. That's what we're hoping for. First, I guess. Uh, if we ever get to the ninth inning with a lead lately, there's been some good news there.
0: Yeah, it's a, a far cry from what was it like April 27th when Roberto Osuna had an area of a seven and a half.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's it's, ju- he's got the fastball good. back.
0: He he does. He actually yeah, he hit 98 the other day, which was the highest he's thrown all season. In his last 11 outings, going back to May 21st, he has 11 saves (laughs) in nine and two-thirds innings with 15 strikeouts. He's given up just two runs.
2: I got to think John Gibbons gets a little bit of credit there for uh, putting him in those save opportunity situations, but uh, he hasn't blown one. No. They've been certainly... uh, confidence boosting saves from from a fan standpoint because it's a couple of nights he's just gone through the the three batters he's faced like a hot knife through butter it's unbelievable
0: yeah so i've been watching him and i just i was marveling at how often he just gets these perfect sliders just off the plate for strikeouts Is every time it's in the same spot and guys swing at it because it's so close and it got me looking into it there's only five pitchers in the history of baseball who at least over who have thrown over 150 innings and have a strike-out-to-walk ratio of 5 or better and an ERA under 3, and one of them is Roberto Rosuna.
2: He's really, really good. And it just goes by so fast that you don't have a chance to think about it. I think that's the weird part about a great closer. Again, uh, in a groove, whether it be Zach Britton or whether it be Mariano Rivera or or whoever, when it, when a closer is really on his game... It happens so fast, you're like, well, I'm sure that was really good, but it's over already. It's not like a mm-hmm. starting pitcher where you can watch him, you know, pile up a bunch of strikeouts and induce a whole bunch of weak contact, and he's, he's been doing it for, you know, seven innings and two hours, you watch him sweat out there. The closer barely even has a chance to break a sweat if he's doing his job right.
0: Yeah, and especially with Osuna, because he's such a strike thrower, which... As Jays fans is not something they've really had at the back of the bullpen for a very long time before him.
2: No, healthy BJ Ryan, I think, was the last real attack the zone kind of guy.
0: Who got that. swings and misses too, yeah. So I mean so that's going back to two thousand and six.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's there's so, been moments, but never never a whole season of someone who looked like they were ready to just keep rolling with it.
0: Yeah, just sustained dominance. So, so it's pretty good.
2: Yeah, uh, other pretty good things. Justin Smoke continues to look like he really, really, really is better than he used to be.
0: Yeah, it's always like, okay, well, when's it going to fade? When? Well, he's not fading. He's got his batting <laughs> average is up to 295. he <laughs> He's got eighteen bombs, which I think is second in the American League um, and first among tied for first among first basemen. He's he looks fantastic, and it's really surprising.
2: But yes, he cut his strikeouts uh, in half.
0: Yeah, his his contact rate has just gone through the roof. Which, I mean, of all the things, if, 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 you, if you told me Justin Smoke was going to go out and hit thirty bombs one year, wouldn't it call you crazy? Just because he does have power, but if you told me Justin Smoke was going to go out and have a really good contact rate, I <laughs> would have said, uh, "What? Were we playing a video game here?
2: What's going on?" <laughs> Did you? We're back to the moving the slider thing. Yeah, it's crazy because the one thing Justin Smoke. I even remember when he was with Texas was, oh, this kid strikes out a ton. He basically got busted back to the minors because he couldn't put the bat on the ball often enough. And it's like he changed his mind. You shouldn't be able to change your mind about that. Like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's just kind of weird, really, is, is what I'm saying about, about. I don't know, you cut your strikeout rate right in half after it was trending in the wrong direction for like three seasons is just... Hard to believe, but I'll roll with it. Uh, Jay Hap, rounding back into form, we think, yes?
0: Well, there are definitely some good signs. I mean, he dominated the Mariners in his last outing, but, you know, some of the underlying stuff, too. He had the hardest fastball he's had all season. And, you know, that led to a lot of swings and misses on the fastball. And considering he throws it more than anybody other than Aaron Sanchez on this team, it's kind of important. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your best pitch should be your best pitch. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, exactly. But now his first two times back off the disabled list, he was having a little trouble. A lot of those fastballs were leaking back over the middle and getting hit for about 900 foot home runs. <laughs> but yeah, but against Seattle, he was he was painting on the corners a little bit better. So he's throwing harder, he's locating better, and you know, like that's the kind of picture that we saw for much of last season. This this elite location with his fastball and the two fastball specifically you know changing up and down with that big change in the movement and when he's doing that he can be very very good so it was a good sign for the next stage of the season
2: and if this team is going to make that move that you alluded to i think uh it it needs a starting rotation full of guys that can do good things consistently because it's really been touch and go while guys have been hurt and then even when they've come back from that injury, you know, kind of working their way back into the rotation hasn't always gone perfectly um the first one or two times out. So yeah, you you want to see them develop that consistency because otherwise it's just gonna tax the continue to tax this bullpen, which apparently has what, nine, ten guys in it now? What what are we sitting at?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think right now it's eight, but it changes daily it seems
2: it's funny how years ago, like, I remember complaining people about the seven-man bullpen probably in, like, 2010. Hey, you know, well, if we have to have seven guys, but it would be great if we could get it down to six because we've got Halliday and he eats a lot of innings with, you know, whoever. And and then it was like, well, why do we always have an eighth man? And this year, this this has been a nine-man bullpen at several different junctures. and Ten-man at one point. I can't even find the outrage. I just, it's just like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, they're not gonna change. We complain for three, four years in a row, and they keep adding guys to the bullpen. So maybe if we keep quiet, they'll take one back out.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just well, I mean, who are they gonna call up anyway? Watcher. Well, we'll get to some of that later. But the entire, almost the entire Buffalo forty-man roster is injured. <laughs>
2: yeah it doesn't bode particularly well every time I mean they, they, they did it with every time they tried to call up an outfielder they they destroyed him they even went to New Hampshire and destroyed one of their outfielders uh, that was most unfortunate um yeah I don't know where you go from there and I guess now is the point where I have to point out that they they had to call in a uh, an early bullpen for Leone tonight because of your boy Marco. What, what, happened yeah. to what happened there, Josh? What's going on?
0: The Rays own him. True. It's crazy, especially because, you know, the back in 2015, he had that near-perfect game against the Rays and then dominated him again. But entering today's game, in the last four starts, they had he, had he had an 8.02 ERA against the Rays. And he has now given up on the season seven home runs in Thirteen point two innings against the Rays. Fourteen point two. That's not going to help you very much.
2: Give up a dozen hits tonight in less than four full innings.
0: Yeah, he was just—he got rocked. But they that's they like own him,
2: Mister Batting Average Against. Just nothing working for him. Uh, I I heard a theory nope. thrown out there on Twitter that he has more trouble when Martin catches him. Maybe because. The pattern that Martin is using is predictable to some of the AL East opponents who've seen it over and over and over again.
0: I don't know. It's an interesting theory and something would be good to look into. I haven't done that yet, but it'd be very interesting to see what the pitch mix is with him versus with Luke Maley. I mean, he wasn't that great last time out with Maley, but he wasn't nearly this bad.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I Obviously, each catcher is going to go a little different, and we know that uh, Marco is not in the habit of shaking people off uh, since his renaissance into this dominant starting pitcher. So you, you, you un, un, more than some guys, you might actually be able to blame the catcher for the pitch selection.
0: Yeah, it's entirely him because, like you said, he doesn't with the catcher out there because our starter will not shake off. So uh, that's actually you may have given me a little research project. i have to dive <laughs> into that one.
2: You just heard it here, folks, and I probably should have given credit to whoever tweeted that. I think it was probably James and T.O., um, who always has a great angle on the game from my my perspective. Uh, which uh, brings us to the end of our weekly recap. Unless you had anything to add to the week's observations.
0: No, I mean, not really, other than the fact that the... Jays fans once again took over Zico Field, and there were a lot of sour Mariners fans about it.
2: You've stolen my final thoughts, sir, but yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my bad. The whole thing was ridiculous. It's, It's just total silliness from my perspective. Yes, people showed up in a stadium. They filled it up. They gave your team a whole bunch of money in tickets and concessions, and they made noise that didn't make you happy for three games.
0: They nearly doubled the average attendance in Seattle.
2: So if if it's really a big deal, the tickets are free to purchase for anybody. It's not like they reserve them for people coming from Vancouver. Show up and block the stadium up with your own people. Mm-hmm. Crazy thought. Or embrace it. it it's one of a very few places that you can get uh, an interesting perspective on what the other team's fan base is, is, is like, is is going to do welcome them with open arms, they might spend more money, and then you can afford to pay for Robinson Cano Silly. There you go So there's my final thought, early we're going to go talk <laughs> to uh, to Burt Granger from 2080 Baseball, we're going to talk about the draft as our opening tagline alluded to and uh, we'll be right back with him after this And we are pleased tonight to be joined by Burke Granger from 2080 Baseball. Burke, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars.
1: Thanks, guys. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we were looking for someone to talk about the draft because it's really the big news of the week. And, uh, and your name came up and uh, we were glad you agreed to join us. So obviously, we'd want to start with the Blue Jays, uh, their first couple picks, maybe some notes uh, more than just the vital statistics of, of these guys.
1: Yeah, so with the 22nd pick overall, the Blue Jays took Logan Warmuth. Uh He's the shortstop out of uh, North Carolina. I had a chance to see him at the ACC tournament a couple weeks ago in Louisville. I came away impressed. Uh, we had him ranked at 2080 as the top collegiate shortstop. Uh, for Wormuth, his greatest strength is kind of his lack of weaknesses. He does a lot of things well uh, while lacking kind of that standout tool. He's got average tools across the board, and he's a good bet to stick at shortstop. Um, He's pretty instinctual as a defender, makes plays to either side of him, um, has an average arm that has solid carry across the diamond. And offensively, I like the swing. So if he does need to move to a position, I think it would be second base where he could be kind of an above-average offensive profile at that position. It's it's interesting you mentioned the sort of jack-of-all-trades
0: essentially or jack-of-all-tools kind of player. Does that type of player usually go in the first round? It's usually you hear about guys, you know, the tool, tooled-up players that are going that high
1: but whereas this seems like much more of a high-floor kind of guy. Yeah, so when, when grading a player if, they, if and that's an interesting question, so when grading a player, his overall grade might not uh, be something that is sexy or stands out Uh, But if the profile uh, if he profiles as someone who can stay up the middle You almost get a bump up in value there So the fact that that evaluators think he can stay at shortstop even if he doesn't have that those eye-popping tools or that that thing that's going to carry him Just the fact that he does everything well enough is is in its sense. What makes him attractive? uh, To evaluators and to teams picking in that range. So if they think he can stay there That's what makes them uh, a pick, kind of to uh, a pick to go in the middle of the first round, like Warmuth did.
0: And then I guess sort of on the other end of the spectrum, you have their second first-round pick, right? Who's all flash?
1: Yeah, Nate Pearson, uh, right-handed pitcher out of Central Florida Junior College. Started out his um, collegiate career at Florida International, then transferred over to Florida uh, of central florida junior college he's a big strong kid 6'6, 240 um he's mostly fastball at this point uh ran his fastball up to 102 in a recent bullpen session so that kind of bumped him up draft boards. um does have an average slider and a fringy changeup. uh he's one of two florida junior college arms that were picked in the first round brendan little was the other for the cubs of those two pearson i think has the better chance to start um but a good fallback option for someone who throws 102 is immediate help in the bullpen.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to draft a reliever because uh, there's lots of uh, early. Um, but uh, it's nice to know that he can ramp it up there. Though in a bullpen session it sounds suspiciously to me like they were just trying to get the biggest number on the gun they could possibly get.
1: Possibly, but it was uh, they did have a bunch of evaluators there. It wasn't just a, a hot stadium gun. It was in front of a bunch of front office execs the lead out uh, the week leading up to the draft. What are, what is his command like? Uh, command? That's something that is, as you might expect, uh, someone who throws one hundred and two. You could be lacking the command, but you have a little bit of a margin for error there. So, um, it's not it's not ideal. He's not picking at the corners like someone who needs to survive at ninety one. Um, But like I said, when you when you had the premium velocity, uh, you get a little bit of more of a margin for error. And that more that margin shrinks, of course, throughout every professional level uh, that he will be uh, promoted to in the minor
0: leagues. It's my kind of player. I've I've always been a fan of the the big armed wild pitchers. My favorite game ever is A.G. Burnett throwing an old hitter with nine walks. (laughs) (laughs) How many pitches? How many pitches did he need for that? I think it was 130-some It's not Edwin Jackson's 149, but it's pretty close. Um, I guess we'll just uh, finish, just quickly finish off day one. I think you guys had Hagen Danner at the top of your catcher draft board.
1: Yeah, we had him pretty high. Um, we had him 38th overall, and I think you guys got him 61st. Uh, he's a legitimate two-way prospect. Doesn't get the the press that the other two-way prospects, uh, Hunter Green and Brendan McKay, did. Um, <coughs> a lot of people liked him as a right-handed pitcher. I think uh, myself and Nick Falaris, we kind of did our 125. We both liked him as a catcher Um, at the plate. He's more power than hit right now. Um, uh, More raw power than actually being a projected above average hitter. Uh, Defensively, he obviously has a plus arm because he sits in the low nineties when he is on the mound, a good athlete uh, uh, behind the plate, his, footwork has improved his receiving has improved um he he was teammates in high school with Nick Prado Nick Prado at Huntington Beach uh California which is a premier high school team in the United States uh Nick Prado went 14th overall as a first baseman to the Royals um the the thing about high school catchers is the track record for them in the draft is pretty terrible um, it's usually t- it's tough for a high school catcher to learn how to handle premium velocity because a lot of high school catchers are handling aren't handling pitchers that are going to pitch in the major leagues unless they're, it's in the showcase circuit, which is what Danner has done. Uh, what's good about Danner is he's got a fallback option that if it doesn't work out for him offensively or behind the plate, he can shift to be a pitcher Uh, because he works 90 to 93 with his fastball, has a curveball that's 12 to 6, and a decent feel for a changeup.
2: Is it the usual move with a two-way player, or potential two-way player, to start him with the more challenging uh, offensive position and then use the pitcher as a fallback?
1: I don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all approach uh, to that. I think they start him where they think they'll have the most success, and then... It's always nice to have, nice to have that fallback option, but with a catcher, especially, I think it's it's so difficult to learn the nuances of catching and receiving, uh, especially at a professional level for a high school kid, that it's best to try that first to see if they have those chops. Because learning that four years from now after not doing it, if he's a failed pitcher, would be more difficult to pick up.
2: Mm. So, any other notes? Uh, I guess in general about the the Jays' picks in the draft, um, that uh, that you had any notes on?
1: Yeah, just in general, I think I think the first five picks, so the next two after that, we were guys that we liked at twenty eighty, higher than uh, what the Jays got them. So Riley Adams, uh, the catcher out of San Diego, that the Jays got in the third round. We had ranked 62nd on our top 125. You guys got him 99th. Um, he's, he stands out for his arm behind the plate and his raw power, but he's a big catcher. He's 6'4", 225. So receiving and setting that low target can be a challenge. And next, uh, a shortstop, Kevin Smith out of Maryland. Uh, we had ranked 82nd. You guys got him 129th. Um, he was a guy who last year after performing pretty well at the Cape Cod League Looked like a potential number one uh, first round pick this year. That didn't happen. He kind of stumbled out of the gate hitting. um, But he's got raw power and a good chance to stay at shortstop. And like I said with Warmoth, if you got a chance to stay at shortstop, uh, you're going to be an attractive draftee. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, it certainly sounds appealing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So switching away from the Jays for a second, one of the big talking points, I guess, going into this draft, was what the Twins were going to do at number one and this idea of saving money with potentially at the first pick to get someone cheaper later. What is your thoughts on that strategy in general? And do you think that they actually did that or was Lewis their guy that they wanted at number one anyway?
1: I don't think that they knew it would be Lewis until a few days before the draft. I, I think they um, were narrowing it down between – four to five players uh, and i think there's other players that ended up going in the top five with with kyle wright being one of the front runners who went to atlanta brendan mckay the two-way player out of louisville and then hunter green and royce lewis and uh mackenzie gore uh actually i i, I don't believe gore was in their was in their final um final grouping but Regardless of any of the players that they would have signed, I don't think, or that they would have drafted, I don't think they were going to give any of them the full $7.8 million allotted for that number one spot. That hasn't happened since we moved to this new system. Um, but they do still have the biggest general pool. And as we could see as the draft progressed in day one and early in day two, they took Lewis, and they also went high upside a lot of picks. They picked a high upside guy uh, to lead off, lead off the second day today uh, to sign them out of a college commitment. So I think they will save money uh, um, by drafting Lewis, maybe a little bit more money than than what they would have, what uh, Kyle Wright would have cost them, and then they applied that money to their subsequent picks. So was there anything that, like, just on the first day of the draft, it's kind of hard to
0: have surprises on day two, but that really stood out to you as something you did not see coming?
1: Uh, well, I didn't see Kyle – um, I didn't see Royce Lewis being the first overall pick. That, that kind of did surprise me. Um, kind of didn't get wind of that until a few hours before the draft. Um, Jake Berger to the White Sox at 11, wasn't one that I expected. Um, and I'd say the big one would be JB Bukowskis, the right-handed pitcher out of North Carolina falling to the Astros at 15. Uh, he's a six foot righty, really electric arm throughout the first two months of the season. If he were two inches taller, he would have been in contention for the, the first overall pick. Uh, but had a, a rough last couple of starts, including at the ACC tournament, and then a really bad outing at regionals getting upset by Davidson in a Cinderella story type, type deal that really pushed him down a little bit. The thing is, it came out that he's been battling blister issues. So it's not exactly a problematic or, or a cause for concern uh, that it's just blisters. It's, it's not like he is having arm trouble that, it, that, would cause his medical uh to to show any red flags so for me um i was a little surprised that the astros were able to get him and the astros subsequently went on to have a a good draft uh they had four picks on on day one and and really hit the ball out of the out of the park with them
2: so to a more casual fan like myself a a lot of what comes out in the draft is kind of like alphabet soup uh there's just like (laughs) Braden's and Logan's and and everything else coming around and I'm sure that there are actually hundreds of kids who get looked at who never even get into that draft consideration certainly not that you know day one or two how do how do scouts decide or start to develop a plan for narrowing down who they're looking at out in the field
1: well so so each organization will have uh, I don't know, 20 area scouts that, that cover a geographical area. And then those area scouts uh, will map out their springs and go to game, go to a, a game nearly every day, especially one or two a, a day during the weekends and during the midweek. And they're getting a real sense for all of the talent in their area. Um, so while they're drafting guys who are juniors in, in college, They've seen these guys progress throughout their freshman and sophomore year. Uh, So they have a good sense of them. They're not necessarily putting grades on them. They're just observing. And they're observing when they're freshman and sophomore so that when they are a junior, they can make that informed decision. And now that's the college side. On the the high school side, they were able to go to these showcases where it's not like it was – 40 years ago, where you had to um, get tips and, and find out who these, who these guys in small towns are that aren't playing significant travel ball, they can go to these showcases where they know the top 100 players in the area are going to be there, for the most part. There are very few high school kids that pop up out of nowhere that didn't play in the showcase circuit uh, the summer before the draft. There was one this year with Austin Beck who didn't play, but that was only because he tore his ACL. Um, Seems like right a reasonable be- excuse. Yeah, <laughs> tore his ACL right before the summer summer circuit. So he didn't play, and then this spring goes out and just has a really loud spring and ends up being the sixth overall pick. And that received a little press because it was unusual. He did he did it so well, and it, it it's not something that they see every day because – for the most case, they've seen these guys at several different showcases over the summer prior to the draft that the spring is really just making sure that although all those tools that they showed really against better competition and they'll use wood bats in these showcases by the time that following spring rolls around, they're just making sure everything that they saw on tape, everything all their um, when they lined up and run that their, their 60 time translates to a good time on the bases and those tools and batting practice translate to hitting live pitching. So they're really all the due diligence that they do over the summer. They're really just almost cross-checking themselves, and then bringing in actual cross-checkers in the springtime. So it's quite the
0: undertaking. <laughs> and I yeah. guess yeah. so then obviously you speak to some of these players, players, some of these scouts, and how much of that and how much of your
1: own scouting work goes into your evaluations at twenty eighty. So I, I really do try to take a holistic approach I, because I I'm located in Ohio and I travel around pretty much in a three hour radius to Columbus, Ohio, which and that'll take me to Louisville, Kentucky, to Lexington, Kentucky, where the University of Kentucky plays, to Pittsburgh, to Indianapolis, to Michigan. So I, I, I'm constantly running into the same area scouts and I'll, I'll talk to them and get their opinions on how on what they think of a player. So j- for, for example, leading up to the draft, I'm trying to stack in my mind, I'm looking at college relief pitchers, which isn't the most, it's not the, it's not the most sexy profile, right? It's We're talking about guys that are gonna be picked in the sixth through the 15th round. But in my mind, I wanted to know, the guys that I saw this spring, I'm trying to stack them based on talent and I was lumping two or three players together. So I pulled out my phone and I texted a couple scouts to be like, what do you guys think about these? And the, and one gave me an opinion that kind of corroborated what I thought. And the other gave me a conflicting opinion and that kind of helped me to decide how I felt about them myself. So I guess to answer your question, I try to, I try to make my own evaluation first and where I feel like I can't make up my mind I rely on the people that have been doing this for 20, 30 years and those are the amateur scouts. They are certainly better at this than me. But I want to, I want to make sure it's a skill that I'm, that I'm cultivating and trying to get better at. So I want to make up my mind, be able to defend my own evaluations. But when I get stuck, I want to say, well, how do you feel and why do you feel that way? Because that helps me to, to learn and to grow as an evaluator.
2: Cool. Well, indeed thank you for dropping by and giving giving us some insight into that whole process um i have found you here on twitter haven't i at burke granger that's me so if people want a little bit more of uh of your kind of uh, scouting and uh and minor league information and and such uh they can follow you on twitter or they can pop on by uh 2080 baseball and check you out there so uh thanks for stopping by artificial turf force
1: thanks for having me guys
2: all right have a good night and we're back and you might have noticed we have uh, switched up some of our our bumper music this week because a good friend of ours Ewan Ross has provided us generously with with a little bit of music that was 5 Alarm Funk that we uh, were listening to coming out of Coming out of the interview there, um, he is hosting a music festival, the Element Music Fest, for our fans in B.C. And uh, it is featuring Five Alarm Funk and uh, and a few other bands, including uh, Garage Mahal, uh, which is another one of the bumpers that you heard. Uh, I believe that was going into the interview. So if any of you are fans of that kind of music, it uh, it is a three-day festival, August 3rd to 6th, and uh, and you can check it out.
0: Yeah and if you happen to go over there from the site because we're the best and everything should go through us <laughs> they, we've they give us a little promo code so if you go into go over to elementfestival.info and buy your tickets and put in the promo code turfpod you get some free swag free t-shirt because you know if you're going to a, if you're going to a music festival you got to look good right
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So if you are on the left coast, as they say, um, it sounds like a good time. It's a BYOB festival. It's family friendly. Uh, it's way out in the wilderness. Beautiful location. So uh, like like we said, you can definitely check that out. Um, what was the website again? I don't want to mess that
0: elementfestival.info. up. Elementfestival.info.
2: Cool, cool. And promo code TurfPod, as they say. Shall we move on to the questions? Sure. As I attempt to play this drop... Time now to hear from our listeners.
1: That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the
2: question, please? Questions, answers, <laughs> answers, questions. What do we start with?
0: <laughs> First off, I like to think, so should I try to play this drop? And then that just seems silly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. I feel silly when I try and play that job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. First one comes from Gabriel GS at Rockbard. What are the chances for Justin Smoke to get an all-star game berth?
2: Um, as far as the voting goes right now, I think he's buried deep, deep within the no chance zone. However, we have seen twice now the final vote come up, right? Mm-hmm. And twice that has been with a Blue Jay name on the list. And we poo-pooed the idea of Michael Saunders getting on.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if Smoke gets into this final ballot thing, I think there's a real shot that he could get in. But I think that's the only way. Because as good as Justin Smoke has been, you know, the guys, guys like Yonder Alonso or... Logan Morrison are having these great seasons and they're on teams that aren't likely to get representatives elsewhere, although Corey Dickerson from the Rays could go. So I, I don't think he's going to get in unless it's that way, even though he clearly deserves it.
2: Yeah, I mean he's he's the best hitting first baseman in the American League, like you said before, but I really doesn't, under doesn't have a lot to do with all-star selections. Strangely. Nope. <laughs> not, not a lot. Question number two, Colleen Evans... Hello again, Colleen, at ColleenEvan6. Can you explain why Jose's amazing stealth move versus Tony, is it Zyke or Zitch?
0: Zitch, I believe.
2: Zitch could be considered anything other than a stolen base. What is the scorer thinking? Now, for those of you who were in a cave this week and did not see that particular game, uh, on a walk, Jose Bautista caught the infielder's napping and decided that while the ball was live, he would advance to second base. So... We'd like to call that a stolen base, but that's not the initial ruling. What was the initial ruling, Josh?
0: a fielder's choice, which was odd, to say the least. I guess they're saying they chose to let him have second base, but that clearly it wasn't the case at all.
2: Well, they it was a terrible decision. They chose not to throw the ball. <laughs>
0: yeah, they, I guess they could have chosen to throw it in the center field. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, (laughs) this was rightfully overturned, and he has been credited with a stolen base now because there's no excuse for scoring it the way they did. I don't know what they were thinking. A real hometown scoring?
2: It was strange. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was... uh, Marco Scudero did this back in 2009 versus the Phillies. I believe it was 2009. Almost the exact same move. The funny thing was the two infielders were Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins that he caught napping, which is just... Epic when you consider how many innings those two guys racked up together. Uh, still fun. Jose Bautista oh, yeah. has done another interesting thing to steal the base. Do you remember what it was?
0: Yeah, you're going to have to give me a little more lead in than
2: that. Um, he, again, when you wouldn't necessarily think the ball was live, per se.
0: And home when the catcher and the pitcher were talking?
2: No, on the fourth pitch of an intentional walk, he stole third base.
0: Oh, Roberto Alomar esque. I like that. Yeah, it's
2: like, and I'm gone. It's like, what? <laughs> You're not <laughs> supposed to be moving? Yeah, well. Uh... <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> Next question from Willie Mays Hayes, spelled properly this time, at Lou Brown 34. So this used to be Primo Pasta. They've clearly upgraded their Twitter <laughs> handle. do you see the end of the year standings having three al east teams make the playoffs
2: somewhere there is a cleveland indians podcast badly in need of this twitter account
0: (laughs) (laughs) too bad it's ours or technically his but
2: (laughs) um yeah i could see that definitely because as you we remarked earlier the al east is the worst and the best so i i could definitely say three al east teams with both wild cards, especially if somebody goes and runs away with it.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the other divisions, Minnesota's leading the Central right now, but they're likely to fall back. And the West, Seattle is okay right now, but Houston's running away with it and everyone else is playing poorly. So I think there's a good chance that it actually ends up that way again.
2: Which, does that make us sad or happy? It's sad because it's harder for the Blue Jays. <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're right uh, we a lot of things making us sad this week i think okay next up we're gonna put two together here from wilty at glad Verrero jr i'm glad varrero personally uh <laughs> is the only way you see jason leblabijian in toronto an injury to go in zerbarney or, or do you see a scenario where he plays too well to ignore uh, and that goes with quinn at quinn sweetser given the choice would you rather brett Laurie or jason leblabijian which, forgive him for the spelling mistake, at second base going forward. Well, Josh.
0: Well, I'll answer the the second part first about Led versus Lori. I guess I'd give Led the shot and see if he can do it. But if not, I think a guy like Lori makes a lot of sense because, as I think you and I would like to discuss, you cannot keep going with Darwin Barney and <laughs> Ryan Goins as your starting second base duo
2: oh they are like two sides of the same coin this year
0: yeah at least scratched up dirty broken coin. <laughs> uh
2: again as as we lay into players i'd like to note that they are both far and above my personal level of talent at playing baseball so were most we...
0: backhanded compliment ever <laughs>
2: yeah where were, were we to compare them to any normal human beings you know they're fantastic ball players Unfortunately, they're not playing against normal human beings. They're playing against the very best baseball players in the world, and they're a little bit short. That's not yeah, a height joke, that,
0: Yeah, this isn't Marcus Stroman-style short. This is talent. <laughs> Between yeah. them, if you added up their two OPS, you would get slightly over 1,100. <laughs> <laughs> they're really bad. Goins is down to .592 OPS, and Barney at five thirty three. And you cannot have that every day in your lineup. It just isn't acceptable.
2: No, because every time you get a rally going or a potential rally going, you essentially insert an out to it, what, three times out of four?
0: Yeah. And, it, and especially with this, the way this lineup is built and needing that turnover to really get those runs scored, you just can't have it. So they need to try something. And I think in the short term, it should be Leblabijian.
2: Because it costs you one 40-man shuffle somewhere. Maybe you have to DFA a guy who's maybe not that good anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Alex Hume uh, at Ahume 92 asks, as, soon as usage has been odd lately. Why not use him in the 8th on Saturday with the 2-3-4 coming up? Why get him in on Sunday at the end of the game? Seemed like panic. Don't panic. Panic.
0: Oh, actually, he changed that, so it doesn't even apply anymore. That's yeah. why Gibbons panicked, because he didn't have the music telling him not to.
2: But the music doesn't play until he's coming into the game, so it's too late. He would have already <laughs> panicked.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> this
2: is confusing for the manager.
0: So, <laughs> with regards to the Sunday game, I didn't like it. I wanted Barnes to stay in the game. Uh, it's 4 nothing. He gave up a, a walk on an 8-pitch at bat. Guy fouled off a bunch of 3-2 pitches. And then I... Flare single off of Troy Tulewiski's leaping outstretched glove he had given up nothing so I didn't love that one the day before I don't get the complaint here I mean yes Roberto Osuna is awesome you know who else is awesome Joe Joe Smith Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Smith has been ridiculous this season I have no problem with him facing the heart of a team's order
2: we don't even know exactly why Joe Smith has been ridiculous, but we appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> uh, he's been like, he's exceeded expectations by just as much as J.P. Howell has fallen short of them.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, we'll go to the next question from Dave Church at Dave underscore Church. Uh, is Tulo a bad hitter now? I'm worried he is.
0: Hmm. Well, if you mean bad compared to what he was, he'll never be Colorado Chilowiczki again. I think that much is probably pretty clear at this point. As for bad overall, well, I mean, he's striking out less than last year. He's walking a little less, but the power isn't there. I think that we're in a bit of a small sample size example with him. I think he's basically what we saw last season. He's a guy who's going to hit. Two fifty, two sixty, walk every now and then, and step into one every now and then. Which, with the way he plays shortstop, is a very useful player. But I don't think he's, you know, Ryan Goins at the bat.
2: What's his OPS right now, there, Josh?
0: Six thirty-two.
2: <laughs> you, you almost faded out before.
0: <laughs> before yeah, I pulled the microphone away <laughs> because I just I didn't want to finish that one out loud.
2: Uh, he is closer to Ryan Goins than he is to. Russell Martin at the moment than he is to Kevin Pilar. Like, eh.
0: Yeah, he's been bad. I don't think there's any argument against that. I just think he is better than this. We saw it last year, too. He started off very slow, and then he got going. And this year, he had the long injury spell. I think he's going to turn it around in a bit. I don't, I'm not saying he definitely will, but I say the odds are better.
2: I hope you're right. Hit me with a question.
0: Alright, so the next one this comes from Connor Moore at the Seahound. Which unit of this set disappoints you most? And he has a bobblehead trio of Brandon Morrow, Unal Escobar, and Ricky Romero. Little throwback for you.
2: I would like to point out that they are actually a match set from the same season because the logo behind them, uh, like the background of their bobblehead makes a complete Toronto Blue Jays logo. So Someone at the promotions department lined up the team and they thought the three guys most deserving of bobbleheads this year are Brandon Morrow, whose arm and various other parts blew up so many times he left town, uh, Yunel Escobar, uh, who basically got run out on a rail after putting an unfortunate slur on his eye black, and Ricky Romero, who, his knees exploded, he didn't tell anybody, and then he couldn't find the strike zone for the life of him and is now out of baseball. Wow, who is so? most disappointing? <laughs> yeah. I I got to go with Brandon Morrow cuz I was such a huge Brandon Morrow fan and and when he was on for the 3 months that he was on at the beginning of I can't remember what year it was 2011, 2012, uh he was racking up complete games and he was absolutely he had he had found everything except health. You?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. His stuff was just so good, and I was there for that 17 strikeout, lost the no hitter with the last batter of the game, or with two outs in the ninth, and you saw like what he could be when he was on, and he just sort of faded away. He's back in the bigs again. Actually, he might have just gotten sit back for the minors, but yeah, he's but he's back playing and healthy, which is nice to see. But man, what wasted wasted talent.
2: And not his fault. Not like, no, no, of course not. Sometimes that sounds like he did something horrible or, you know, because we talk about uh, the Josh Hamilton as wasted talent, right? Not that kind of wasted talent.
0: No, <laughs> no.
2: Uh, last question from Brian uh, What kind of trade package could Smoke bring in if he keeps up hitting? And what about keeping up till next season and trying him at the trade deadline then?
0: I don't know you get much for him this year, even though that would give you two more seasons of control because he has a team option for 2019. It's just because no one's going to believe it. It's like, why? That's the reason the Jays were able to sign Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion to those super cheap contracts because they signed him after the first year of breakout when it's like, ah, kind of a fluke. The market's not going to value them. If he does this till next season's trade deadline, you get a bonanza for him.
2: I agree. And, uh, you know, a bonanza could be uh, a a top notch prospect plus maybe someone who can fill in on the major league at at the major league level as a part timer. Is that what we're thinking?
0: No, I think you get better than that. I think if he hits like this for a season and a half and then you can trade for a season and a half of him beyond that, you're getting, you can ask for some young, major league ready, good talent.
2: Tis fair. Tis fair. Uh, Should we. Yeah, that is all the questions, so I I believe we have a do-over. What
0: did you say? Oh my god, did he really just say that? But we can cry again, right?
2: Are you talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? Let's do this! Oh, good time. So, uh, originally we uh, developed the do-over as a foot-in-mouth exercise, and from the draft last night, we have a foot in a mouth. (laughs) The Angels made a pick. In the first round, and they were very happy with their pick. Uh, and uh, the general manager came along, and he he said something to the general effect of, "Now the organization has a player that they can build around long term."
0: It really is out of set on mind, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Mike Trout's hurt, and like, oh, forget that guy.
2: Did they not sign Mike Trout to like a ten year contract?
0: No, he actually didn't sign that long, but he signed through a couple more years. And he's Mike Trout. <laughs> if you're building your
2: own team, you're the best player
0: of the generation. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I guess one could quibble with the definition of long term. But are you already waving goodbye to Mike Trout in that statement? That doesn't seem like it would make anybody happy yet. Like, you kind of do have the best window to keep the best player of the generation around. And not insult him by <laughs> completely forgetting he exists. And
0: you know what's uh, funny? The guy that they picked? Jordan Adele.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's kind of a risky guy. There are a lot of just a lot of disagreement on what he could be.
2: Well, I guess Mike Trout wasn't picked first overall either. So maybe the Angels know something we don't. Or maybe they should just come on and take the do over and
0: and say, yeah, we're sorry, we got Mike Trout, and we probably should have recognized that.
2: Yeah, would have been hard to say, now we've got another player we can build on for the long term. That would be nice. Would have covered everybody, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, nicely done.
2: All right, so this is the point in the evening where I turn it over to you to give me a, a final thought.
0: Well, my final thought is just... A quick note, I think last time we spoke about Liriano and wanting to see sort of like a gradual improvement in his velocity because there was a good sign his first time out. It went back down a little bit last time.
2: Mm.
0: Yep, so his start... today tomorrow yesterday depending on when you're listening to this <laughs> second game of the, of the Tampa series that's going to be i think we should really pay attention because if he's still in that same 92 93 94 range then that's probably where he's going to stay all season
2: you know that his start today tomorrow yesterday is making the front end of this podcast now
0: that- <laughs> i think i deserve that
2: that was epic uh i would just like to give a shout out to emily who uh my daughter is uh Was talking about, about the podcast And she's a fan, so Emily Thank you for listening, because uh I don't know, not very often you run into someone Who goes, hey, I know what your podcast is So that's super cool to me To all of our other fans out there Thank you for listening, because uh That means that this has been The Artificial Turf Wars Podcast episode number 61 And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And our guest was Burke Granger from 2080 Baseball at Burke Granger. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.